Well, the last chapel of the year when we have an actual uh, teaching going on, um, I just wonder how many of you are here and you are a first year. Okay, so this is your first last chapel. <laughs> um, how many of you are here? Raise your hand if you're a sophomore. Okay, looks like one, two, okay, up in the balcony. How about juniors? Do you have any juniors here? Okay, a few. And how about uh, seniors? Okay, those of you that are seniors, we have a special bond this, this morning because I feel a lot, a lot like a senior uh, being uh, here uh, for the last time. And those of you who are staff, who are faculty, welcome. Uh, like Megan said, I've, I've been here for 21 years, and actually, um, I've been here for 22. And that is because I came here uh, as a senior. So I had a whole senior year here. And um, I can't be at this moment and just fail to reflect a little bit on, on that. I actually uh, did three years of college at a school in Canada, even though I'm not Canadian. And I transferred all of that here. And so what you go through in your first two years, I did all that in my senior year, um, except for the the Bible and Theo uh, classes. So that was a pretty jam-packed senior year. And uh, so I met every day, Monday through Friday, uh, here in this chapel. We didn't have a back wall at that time. Uh, the front looked different. We had a big globe up on the uh, left-hand side here, like eight feet across. I mean, it was really, as I remember, it was big. And um, a little bit cheesy looking, maybe, but it had a light bulb on the inside, and so it was a solid globe that looked like the world, uh, and had a light bulb, and then when people went out and they were a missionary to some country, they would drill through the globe and they'd put a little plastic thing in there so it looked like a point of light. So as this globe was up there, you could see all the ways that Northwest University uh, was touching the world. And like I say, a little cheesy to look at maybe, but it made a great point. And um, I remember that globe because my seat was, we had assigned seating in that day. There's no wall in the back. And, and then um, all that room back there, that was all seating. So we had, I, as I recall, just one chapel a morning. We all fit in the room. And I had an assigned seat not in the very back row, but in the next to the back row over on this side. So I had a certain chair that I had to be in. And the globe was about the only thing that I could see from back there. <laughs> and it was a little hard to see, and it was a little hard to hear. And on a warm day, it was a little hard to breathe. <laughs> and um, we also had a chapel monitor. This was somebody who had to look down the row. So if I did homework, um, I could lose points. If I fell asleep, I could lose points. And I, so I would say those of you that are out in front here, you got the prime real estate. I mean, I really wish that I had had an assigned seat out, out where you are. If you're a senior here, you're probably closing in on 125, 126 credits. You know, maybe 42 courses uh, worth of three credits each. 
As I look back, I've taught 643 credits. I've taught 190 separate courses. Um, I've written 31 courses. So, you know, write, write one, teach it a few times. Um, and at the end of this semester, I will have handed out 3,264 grades. <laughs> and every one of them I pay such careful attention to. And in the midst of all of that stuff, all that variety, um, in retrospect, I think, what are the things that really stand out? And I must say that there are two. And number one is Jesus, and number two is the Bible. I wouldn't know Jesus apart from the Bible. Today we're going to read a um, Bible story from Luke 5, and where Jesus actually interacted with people. That would have been great if we had had that opportunity, actually just to meet him as a person. So, but we don't have that. So what we have is the Bible. And whether it's been planting a church, pastoring a church, being on staff, uh, going through my educational times, teaching, I taught at a school uh, for seven years before I, I came here, I would say the same thing, that really what lay at the center of all of that stuff was Jesus and the Bible. And I'm so thankful for that because it is so easy. I'm not saying it's been easy to keep Jesus and the Bible at, at, at the middle, but it is so easy to get pulled away into sort of the stuff, the programs, the, the demands, the needs of, uh, of the day. And so I'll make a suggestion for you. Whatever it is that uh, God has called you to do. Uh, you might be in a semester where you don't have a Bible class or you don't have a theology class. That's perfectly fine. Jesus can still be right at the center of that. And uh, when I say Jesus and the Bible, one of the things that I mean by, by this that's been so helpful for me, it's the Jesus that I read about in the Bible. So, um, so at one point, I had people t tell me, boy, get Jesus, you know, ask Jesus in your life. He's going to give you all kinds of stuff. It's going to be great. You're going to, you know, have a wonderful life. You'll ha ha have more stuff than, than, than you can imagine. And then I read in the Bible where Jesus says, whoever does not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. And I thought, it's not about the stuff. So... Um, I remember meeting Jesus, accepting him as my savior, learning a lot about how he wanted to be my friend. Um, precious, meaningful, and yet as I look over in the, in the past years, the things that I hear Jesus say most clearly are repent and believe the good news. It's how he started his ministry. It's how he continued his ministry. And that's still how he ministers today. So we're going to look at this story in Luke 5. You're heading into final exam week. I know you all want to get an A in something. I'm going to give you not just one A, not just two A's. Today I'm going to give you three A's. Okay? And you're all going to get these, these three. Um, so uh, I'd like to read... Uh, from Luke 5, 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. We find Jesus meeting people up at this place that we normally call the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea out in the ocean. It's a little bit bigger than Lake Washington. Um, and there are communities all around it. And of course, a lot of activity uh, going on. And Jesus is there. And he really speaks two messages. One is to the whole crowd, and we do not know the text of what that is. The other one, though, he speaks to a man that is here as Simon. We normally uh, hear him by his other name, Peter. And what do we know about Peter? Well, like people up in Alaska that we heard about today, a lot, lot of them, same job, he was a commercial fisherman. So he had his own boat, and, and he had his partners, James and John, and they had just had a very unsuccessful time fishing, which would, if I were a commercial fisherman, if you were, wouldn't that irritate you? <laughs> I mean, it's not only, not only that maybe you lost time, that you didn't get income from those fish, but it's a little bit embarrassing, too, that you go out and say, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to know how, how to do this, and it just wasn't working. Uh, we also know that Peter was Jewish. His name is actually um, Simeon, like, um, like we have in the Old Testament, and his father was named Jonah. I kind of wonder what was in the mind of Peter's grandparents that named their son Jonah. I mean, it's a good name, but Jonah was a troubled, troubled man, <laughs> had a difficult, strained relationship with God, and was not a very obedient uh, believer. But that that's... That, that was Peter's dad's real name. And sometimes I think we hear that Peter, because he was a blue-collar worker, he must have been uneducated. Um, I know a lot of blue-collar workers who are actually quite well-educated, not just in what they do, but in a lot of other things too. Well, where did Peter live? He had a house in Capernaum, and that house is right next door to this gigantic Jewish synagogue. It's kind of like having your house in the backyard of a cathedral. 
And so Peter had access to this place where they not only worship, but they also studied. He came from a devout Jewish family. I don't think it's a stretch at all to think that Peter would have known every story in the Bible that had to do with fish. I mean, certainly, we can imagine him as a young boy uh, saying, Dad, uh, Abba, um, tell me a fish story. You know, and then Jonah says, well, funny, you should ask me about a fish story. I mean, how many times in that family would they have heard the fish story um, about Jonah? So Peter probably knew a great deal about fishing, but also a great deal about uh, his, his faith. So when, when Peter came to him, I mean, uh, when Jesus came to him, he said, you know, go out again, let, let, let your nest down. And what did Peter say? Uh, basically, in his heart, he, he says, uh, well, yeah, we've been there. We've, we, we've done that. And, that. and that did not work. But outwardly, he says, oh, uh, uh, all right, because you say so, we will go ahead and do this. And of course, when the miraculous catch happens and the nets start to break and the boats are about to sink, Peter responds in a quite surprising way. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, if we were in, in the boat then, uh, and we had all these fish, somebody would have said, this is great. I mean, Jesus really, he, he led us to the big payoff. And, you know, we, last time we zigged when we should have zagged, and, but now we're at the right spot, we got it all. He knows something that we don't know and we need to get him back in the boat for tomorrow and do this again and maybe again and, we're, and we'll all be rich. Um, Peter does not go in that direction. Um, in fact, Peter doesn't even say, Jesus, you're a lot better fisherman than I am, or you've got better timing, or you know something that I don't know, or you know, I'm just a bad guy. He says, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What he means is, not I committed a particular sin, like the reason why we didn't catch fish is because I kicked my dog, or you know, barked at my kids, or, or said a bad word, or something like, like that. What he's saying is, I'm in the presence of holiness. And in light of your ho holiness, I'm a sin sinful man. You know, some of us have, um, just quite frankly, just as an aside here, we, have, we don't all have the same reaction when we hear about sin or when we hear about repentance. And it is always easier and more comfortable to focus on the love of God, the grace of God, God's presence with us, his acceptance of us in, of, in spite of our weaknesses and our flaws, and yes, even indeed times when we make mistakes or times when we deliberately do do that. Peter says something important for us here. He confesses something about himself, that he is a sinful man. And what, he, what this leads to is an experience of Jesus that is unparalleled in his life. I would just say here that the awareness of who you are and what you bring to Jesus is so foundational because when you go out and represent your 
yourself and Jesus' role in your life to other people, those who have experienced the grace of God in forgiveness are in the best place to welcome other people who need healing, who need forgiveness, who need re restoration. Not, not an add-on, you know, like a little extra, hey, you've got a lot of friends, but Jesus can be another friend and maybe even a better friend. Um, there's something more going on, and Peter gets that. And it's a point that, that, uh, that we do well to remember. I'll mention something else about the story before I tell you what the three A's are. And that is that this story bothers some people because they don't like what it says about evangelism. Now, Peter says to Jesus, I'll make you fishers of men, kind of that traditional way of saying it. I'll make you fishers of, of people. And what do you do when you go out and catch fish? You get the fish, it dies, you gut it, you know, you cook it, you sell it, and at, at the end, you got a lot of dead fish. <laughs> I think, I don't want to think about people that, that way. I don't want to think about sharing the message of Jesus as hooking people in or commercializing it or just counting how many I have. I mean, isn't evangelism really about sharing good news, not sharing a message of death, <laughs> and about building relationships, not looking down on, on people as fish. And I would say that what Jesus does here is he takes something that's familiar to Peter and then he plays with it because he uses a different word about catching fish than what is the normal word for catching fish. What he, what the word that Jesus uses is to rescue and to save alive not to save so that, so that the fish ends up being dead. So it, he's making a play on word because they both have to do with, with fishing and catching and so on, but it's a subtle thing. And if you have ever had that kind of thought, like I, I just shared, Jesus got ahead of that one in the way he, he was doing it. He was saying to Peter, there's something familiar about your past that is the foundation for what you're going to see in the future. Now I'm gonna give you these three A's. What's, what's going on in this story? First of all, Jesus comes with authority. In the chapter right before this one, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth where there's another large synagogue. And he is invited uh, to read the Bible as part of their synagogue service. And the passage for that day was from Isaiah. And so Jesus stood up and he read the Bible. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Since the synagogue services began, that passage was read on a repeated basis. And everybody knew that this is a prophetic word about somebody who God is going to raise up and do these amazing things. So they weren't really surprised that Jesus would say that. That's just what was there. But after that, Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now that is a word of authority. And when Jesus went to Capernaum, where Peter was, not far from where they were fishing, he taught people, and what did they say? Here is somebody who comes with authority. 
Jesus meets a person who is oppressed by a demon and he sets this man free. And people say, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law from a disease. That's authority. And as he's teaching and proclaiming the good news and talking about the kingdom of, uh, of God, people comment that he has authority. This is how he comes. And it's not just authority to do new things. He says, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which means there's a turning of the times, that things are going to be different. And of course, a big question that drives his ministry is, how's that gonna happen? Is that now, is that soon, is that later? How's it gonna be different? What's, how is this actually working? You talk about the kingdom of God. Is it here? Do we need to wait for it? Is it in heaven or what? And Jesus works and works and works that, that one idea to clarify for, for them. Does Peter recognize this authority of Jesus? Not so much at first, because when Jesus says, Peter, go out again and fish so, some more, Peter says, yeah, not that excited about doing that. It's a lot of work, and we've done it. But because you say so, uh, I'll go do it. He recognizes some authority in Jesus, but not that much. But when he gets the miraculous catch, then he recognizes Jesus' absolute authority as the Holy One that God sent. And that's when he confesses that he's a sinful man. So Jesus comes on the scene and his authority sort of breaks out into the open upon Peter. That's the first A. The second one is that Jesus' work results in a new amazement. When Jesus read that passage, in Nazareth and said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It says the eyes of everyone were fastened on him. They had never heard somebody say that last part, that today this is fulfilled for you. And when Jesus went to Capernaum and taught and delivered the oppressed man, people were, and Luke uses this exact word, amazed. When the demon came out of this guy, the people were what? Luke says, amazed. And when this huge catch of fish came in, Peter, James, and John, and the crew were amazed. What was Peter really amazed about? You know, everybody else, I think, was amazed at the fish. But Peter was amazed at what the fish represented. He knew that this was a divine encounter. Jesus said to him, Peter, fear not. That, those are words you normally get from an angel who's coming in, and it's a, it's a tough, scary mom moment. And so Jesus says, Peter, fear not. I'm coming to you from somewhere else. And Peter is truly amazed about that, and he knows his business is gonna change. His purpose is going to change. Everything about his life is going to have a different focus, a different kind of orientation to it. And Peter is amazed, yes, with the fish. He's more amazed by Jesus. And in Peter's life, we see a great deal of amazement. 
I must admit that at the end of a year, um, you've, had, you've had classes, you've done all sorts of things, you've been in this room an awful lot. Sometimes it can take a lot to make us amazed. You know, I'm just sort of being normal here. <laughs> Say, um, you know, these are stories, we're at a great distance uh, to, to it. I would say, be careful about chasing after amazement. It tends to run away from us and laugh while it's going out the door. Um, what happens is we follow Jesus step by step by step, and every once in a while we look around and say, "Well, oh, did you just see what happened? That was amazing. I remember hearing somebody that I went to church with tell about how God showed up in her life. And after 45 minutes of hearing her story, I had to put my jaw back up. That, that's just amazing what happened in her life. I would have never dreamed that God got a hold of her this way and turned her around. And I've sat by this person lots and lots. So it's, it's surprising how Jesus chooses to show this sort of amazement. But it's different than just, being a, than just seeking after thrills. It's about getting a window, some fresh understanding of who Jesus really is. That's the second A. The third one is that Jesus delivers a new announcement. You know, Peter is there in the boat. He's got all the fish. He's pulling them in. The boat is about to sink. Peter realizes that God is there, uh, that he's a sinful man. And with this sink, sinking boat, I'm sure Peter would, would think, I know somebody else who was out on the water with a sinking boat. Jonah was in a sinking, a sinking boat. Jonah was not really right with God. And, the, and Jonah said to the other men in, in the boat, you know why this boat is sinking? It's because of me. You need to pick me up and throw me overboard. And the people said, we don't want to do that. That's like murder. And he said, no, I'm, I'm telling you the, the truth. I know something that you don't know. And he told them the story. And at the end, these guys cave in, and they throw Jonah overboard, and then the story c c continues. Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Is Peter saying, Lord, I'm the problem? You know, does Jesus depart from, 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 from Peter? It's as if he looks at Peter and says, Peter, that is a prayer I am not going to answer. I am not going to depart from, from you. I am going to change you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a new purpose. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I want to just ask you, sometimes do you ever feel a little bit stuck with your life? When I was growing up, by the time I... Uh, met Jesus when I was 15, I had experienced a divorce in my family, and not that many kids that I went to school with had gone through this. And I thought, this is going to hang over my whole life. And it wasn't more than a few years later when I experienced another one. And I thought, am I, like, is this, is this my life to be a kid in a broken family? Do I, and in some ways, I felt stuck. And 
you know, you might feel stuck because of things that have happened to you. You might feel stuck because things that you have done or been pulled in, in, into. Even people say, you know, I'm just born into this rotten situation, or I was born this, th th this way, and I'm just stuck. Peter says, Jesus, I don't, I don't belong in your presence. Would you just leave me alone? And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. No matter how stuck you feel, Jesus is not going to leave you alone. Why is that? Because he's the one who came to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free, to open the eyes of the blind. He is the one who brings real change. And his announcement to Peter about making him fishers of men is just indicative of the kinds of amazing things that Jesus can do and the things that Jesus will do for you. So when you think about how we enter in, in, into this story, where are you with Jesus' authority? We meet Jesus in many different ways. For me, I met Jesus and, and they, people said, you need to accept him as your personal savior. I didn't know what a personal savior was, but I said, yeah, I, 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 I can do that. And how does that happen? I said, you pray this prayer. And I didn't even know what the prayer was until I was saying it. So by the time I was saved, um, yeah, I had met Jesus as my personal savior. I prayed this sinner's prayer, but I knew about that much about Jesus' real authority. And I found that stepping into that dimension, realizing what he has lordship over, and how good and loving and wise this lordship is, well, it's just been the best thing. We already talked a little bit about amazement and how sometimes our experience with Jesus can quite frankly feel a little bit stale. Um, partly we're always going to be at this distance where we're reading the Bible of other people having their face-to-face -face, um, encounters with God. So for us it takes a little bit more reflection and a little bit more of a holy imagination to step in into these stories and to see our place there. What if you were in Peter's shoes? What if you were somewhere else in the boat? What if you were straining at, at, at the net? Those are things that help us get inside that story and where Jesus can become truly amazing, as well as ways that he shows up in, in our lives and those that, that we know and love. But also, what about Jesus' announcement for you? I'll tell you one, one scripture on this next slide. Here is a great announcement about the difference that Jesus makes. And Paul said it this way, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Not just new life, not just new purpose, not just new mission, new creation. When I accepted Christ as my personal savior. I was 15. Last Thursday, I turned 65. It's 50 years ago. And, and I had, I, a student told me this semester, I'm a brand new follower of Jesus, and here I am in your, in, in your class. And I've had other students uh, tell me that they have been following Jesus their whole life, so much so that they can't point to a certain moment when they weren't and then, and then they were. 
The fact is, following Jesus is not about starting. Following Jesus is about the future. It's about continuing. When you're finishing your classes, follow Jesus. When you're taking your exams, follow Jesus. When you're graduating, follow Jesus. When you're heading out in, in, into the summer with the hope of coming back, follow Jesus. I'd like you to stand with me. And I have been encouraged by hearing this pronouncement of a blessing that, um, that Moses gave to Aaron. And with these words, he would bless the people of Israel. It's on the, uh, on the next slide here in English. When Aaron, of course, gave it, he gave it in Hebrew. And I have memorized this, I have pronounced this when I performed weddings. I'm going to read it here just to make sure that I get it exactly right. But I'm going to pronounce this blessing on, on you in, in Hebrew as it has been done for thousands of years. Amen. Thank you.